Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I trust that as we open the pages of Scripture, at least in your heart, you have the same spirit as did those saints of old in the street that was before the water gate when Nehemiah was there in Ezra, and they opened the Word of God in the sight of all the people, and the people stood up and they bowed their heads and they worshipped the Lord because they were about to have the Word of God read to them. From Psalm 99 that we read a few minutes ago, it said that the Lord God, though being terrible and having a great and terrible name, was one that loved righteousness and equity. And it went on to describe that when Moses and Aaron and Samuel prayed, he heard them. And what was the first great blessing that is mentioned there? He taught them his testimonies. It is a great blessing of God for God to teach you his testimonies and to give you his ordinance because he has every right to leave you and me totally ignorant of how to serve the true and living God. And he has left most nations ignorant of the true and living God. And he has left most churches ignorant of the true and living God. And in fact, the Bible says he sends them strong delusion that they should believe a lie because they receive not the love of the truth. Thank you, Lord, for the love of the truth that you put in our hearts. And you did teach us. And thou art a God that lovest equity. He is not just terrible. He is most righteous and fair. And when we call upon Him, when we call upon Him in sincerity and in truth, He will teach us His ways. And He has. And let's delight right now, as we look down at just a few verses, at what He has to teach us. I want to read to you three verses only. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. We have had 18 verses so far in Matthew chapter 6, all with the same lesson, though applied to three different parts of worship. The first part of worship was in verses 1 through 4, almsgiving, giving charity, to the poor. And it was to be done in private. The words there were, don't let your left hand know what your right hand does, because your father that sees in secret will reward thee openly. Then we had verses 5 through 15 that said, when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites standing on a street corner or standing up in the middle of a congested synagogue or temple, but go into your closet, shut the door and pray, and your father that seeth in secret will reward you. And then we come to fasting, and it's the same outline followed. Don't do it to be seen of men. 
if you look at this Sermon on the Mount, add up all the verses, and take these 18, it's a significant part of the whole. And a significant part of the whole is to war by three different examples against something that is in all of us, and that's a desire to be seen of other men as being righteous and spiritual, holy and godly. And so Jesus Christ hits it three times with three examples, giving charity, praying, and now fasting. Therefore, by the law of emphasis in the Bible, we ought to realize this is a problem we all wrestle with. And for those that have honest souls, we know that we have that problem in us. Right. And we want to search our lives, not just almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. We want to search our lives for public praying, helping with a building, volunteering for anything, bringing food on Wednesday nights, or anything else we do to be seen of men as being righteous and holy. We want God in heaven to see. Now, sometimes we have to do things publicly. And the Lord understands that. There was almsgiving in public. We already dealt with that. There's public prayers. I would say Solomon's prayer was pretty public when he dedicated his temple. When he got down on his knees and lifted up his hands to heaven and the entire nation was there to listen to one of the most eloquent prayers in the Bible. I think that was pretty public. And you know there's public fasting in the Bible when kings would clothe themselves in sackcloth and ashes. I can think of David laying on his face on the earth, lying on his face on the earth for seven days. But that isn't the point. The point is, what's in the heart? Is there any desire to be seen of men? And we always have that evil heart wanting to raise its ugly head and get involved in our worship of God. And may the Lord bless us by His grace and Spirit to search our hearts and crush any desire to be seen by anyone but our Father in heaven. We want Him to see us. Not that we're something great, but that we're prostrating, our, prostrating ourselves before Him, whether it's in almsgiving or in prayer or in fasting, that He might see us, right. that He might reward us. All we want is His favor and His approval and no one else's. But you, you read these first 18 verses and you see the same sentences mentioned three times. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Any effort to be seen of men, that's all you're going to get. God will not answer that prayer. God will not accept that almsgiving. And that fasting will not mean anything to Him if you did it to be seen of men. So we want our religion to be that of the heart, in the spirit, in the inner man. And God sees all of that and He promises to reward openly. Now, I, we shouldn't take very long this morning because... We studied this subject of fasting four months ago. Hopefully you could all get up and preach it back to me. But as we learned on Wednesday evening, the memory isn't quite so tenacious about holding on to things. So let's make a simple review of this subject of fasting this morning. We have needs facing our congregation, and when they go away, we'll have other needs. Right. You will face dilemmas and perplexities, and troubles in your life that are great. And if you want to know of what means God has chosen for you to bring your most serious needs to Him, He's chosen fasting. Fasting isn't commanded in the Old Testament. You can't find a verse in Exodus or Numbers or Deuteronomy or Leviticus that commands fasting. But God's people have done it from the beginning. 
in preparing themselves before God, of denying themselves physical pleasures in order to show God the sincerity of their hearts and to afflict their souls to avoid anything pleasant in order to grieve about their sins and to express to God how important a certain matter might be to them. They've done it from the beginning. And so the Lord Jesus Christ assumes that his followers in Matthew 6 were going to be doing it. He doesn't say, if ye fast. He says, when ye fast. Because he assumes that we'll be fasting. Because it's a part of walking humbly with thy God. We open this morning with Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Where God tells us what he wants from us. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And one way we walk humbly is by humbling our souls through fasting depriving ourselves of the pleasure of food and or other pleasures in order to seek his face and show him how fervent we are. This past Wednesday evening, we considered, again, James 5.16. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Wednesday night, we emphasized effectual. We thought on ten different rules of praying effectually, the kind of prayers that God hears how we can pray for God to hear us. But it said the effectual, fervent prayer. And fasting is how we show God our fervency. How fervent, or how passionate, or how serious are you about a particular prayer request? One way you can show God how serious you are is by fasting. And so it's been a practice from the beginning, and it will be a practice to the end. And we want to look at it briefly this morning because the Lord brought it up again to us in Matthew chapter 6. Throughout, we're dealing with hypocrisy. We do not want to fast, pray, or give to be seen of men. We want to fast, pray, and give because God has called for it. And because we love Him, we want to serve Him. Let's always keep that our motive. Always. There should never be any vainglory or strife in this church because we're not getting the attention that we want from the church. We should all be thinking of the attention we'll get in the great day when he says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. What difference does it make if we were to put you up here and clothe you in a robe and clap for a solid hour? What difference does it make if we did that in comparison to the Lord Jesus Christ saying, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. No one needs to see what you do or what I do if the Lord Jesus Christ sees it. If our Heavenly Father sees it, He'll reward us openly. That's what we want to remember. That's the main lesson of these 18 verses. Hypocrisy. It's men doing religious things to be seen of men. And so today, we have Christianity that has a form of godliness, but it denies the power thereof. We want the power. We want to be giving the way God tells us to give. We want to be praying the way he tells us to pray. And we want to fast the way he tells us to fast. Look at verse 16. Moreover, that means I've given you two things that I want you to be conscious about. That's almsgiving and praying. But I've got a third. Moreover, in addition to what, we've already, what I've already taught you, here's another subject that you need to consider. When ye fast. I like that. I've already said this once. It doesn't say if ye fast. Jesus Christ assumes something about his disciples. 
that they will be fasting. Not if ye fast. When ye fast. And that ought to mean something to all of us. When ye fast. We do not fast enough. Can we all agree on that as we go through Matthew 6, 16 through 18? We're too lazy. We're too weak. We're too carnally oriented. We're too pleasure addicted. We have to have our food. We're not serious enough about the worship of God. But if you read Psalm 99 with just a little bit of comprehension, he's worthy to get down at his footstool. And one way you can get down at your footstool is to afflict your soul by depriving yourself of the pleasures that our flesh thinks we have a right to. And we get down at his footstool. And we exalt him, the Lord our God. And we call upon him, and he will hear us, and he will teach us his testimonies. He'll give us his ordinance, and he'll forgive us. But we don't do enough of it. We get wrapped up in our little lives, and there's nothing out there to tell us that real Christians fast, except this book. Because so-called Christians today hardly do any fasting at all. And we have to ask ourselves, are we just like them? We don't want to compare ourselves with them to say that we're better than they are. We don't want to compare ourselves with them to have a distinctive church that fasts. We want to do it to please our Father in heaven. And we have serious needs, and there will always be serious needs. And we want to be thinking about fasting. We have one in the back row, and we have one in the front row. Do all of you need help figuring it out? We have a young man in prison. And we're going to get to a reminder passage in just a few minutes where Jesus Christ said, This kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. How much have we fasted for that young man? If we truly cared about him, and we truly cared about the glory of God, we would do more than write him, visit him. We would fast in prayer to God for him. Because Jesus said, This kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. We have someone in the front row that we want to think about fasting for. Especially as we go through the next week. We want to go to the Lord and show him how serious we are. It's the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. And to whatever degree that you would like others praying for you, the Bible tells you how you ought to pray for him, doesn't it? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And one of those things is prayer. The timing of the subject, though I preached on it just four months ago, is just fine with me, and I ask that it be fine with you. And I ask you, since I preached on it in January, just how much have you put it into practice? May the Lord bless us to see the word and to let it sink into our souls as something we ought to be doing, not just something we ought to be believing. We all believe already about fasting, don't we? Let's just put it into practice. That's what we ought to do. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance. Can you imagine this hypocrite in your mind? He comes to church and he's just dragging in. He looks pitiful. His hair is not combed. He's got a face all messed up and he looks so sad. He looks so miserable. And when you ask him, what's ailing you, brother? Oh, I'm just fasting. 
Oh, I'm just fasting. The Lord just blows that one right on out the window. That man's got his reward. You asked about him, and he got to tell you. That's his reward. Now, that's a pretty cheap reward for fasting. I like food, and that isn't enough. And I, I, I speak as a fool when I say that. Do you know what I mean? That is not enough of a reward. I want my Father which is in heaven to see me wrestling with him through fasting and prayer and purposing to reward me openly for my requests that are done secretly. You look at this verse and it says, They disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Can you believe it? They may have gone without supper last night, or if it's a real hypocrite, they skipped breakfast on their way to church because they got up too late, and yet they still call it a fast. Okay? But on their way to church, you know, they make themselves look worse for the wear. So that when they, this is what it says. They disfigure their faces so that when they get here, they look like they're fasting. Lord, help us. But do you know what? There is the heart of a hypocrite in every single one of us. Right. There is. We put on an appearance. The Lord knows. These 18 verses and three repetitions are not here because the Lord couldn't think of his next point. They're here because he knows us so well. Look at what it says about them. They come with a sad countenance and they disfigure. They make their faces look like they're fasting. They make their faces look other than healthful, happy, and full. They want you to think that they're fasting. Now, is there any church in America that does that? That wants to tell everyone when they're fasting? And they disfigure their faces. Do we have a document on the website for it? What do Catholics do on Ash Wednesday? They put, they put a cross on their forehead with ashes. That's why it's called Ash Wednesday. It's the first day of Lent. They disfigure their faces. They come into a restaurant. They've got a cross of ashes on their forehead. What are they saying to the whole world? I'm fasting. I'm fasting. I'm holy. I'm spiritual. I'm godly. I'm better than you are. It's hypocrisy. Nowhere is that taught in the Bible. Not even a hint of it. What the Bible says is don't disfigure your face so Catholics, as they do with all other doctrines, reverse it and come and disfigure their faces to tell everyone that they're fasting. It's pitiful. Oh, but brethren, you know, we just can't poke at Catholics. We've got to poke at ourselves and look at ourselves and examine ourselves. What do we do in order to be seen of men? We don't fast enough. To fast, to be seen of men. That's what I fear. So it's hard for me to even apply the three verses to us. We do other things to be seen of men. But the point is, let's not fast to be seen of men. I would hope that you would be able to arrange, if you were fasting, not to go out to eat with someone else. And have them ask you as you sit there in the restaurant without ordering. Listen, you're no better than verse... Verse 16, I hope you can figure that out. That if you you couldn't arrange when your fast was going to be, and you're sitting there, and you humbly put your head down and say, well, I'm just fasting today. Sometimes you might not be able to avoid it. Do you know what? The Lord doesn't care. This verse isn't mitigating against that. The Lord isn't going to undo your fast and not accept it because someone else finds out about it. The point is, you not taking a few little precautions to keep others from finding out about it. Please, 
We've understood that all the way through here. We know that the left hand, the right hand, is to be understood in a limited sense. About almsgiving in the first four verses. And so we do have a denomination that goes around and tells everybody that they're fasting. We do not want to be anything like that. I love the Word of God so much. There was no Roman Catholic Church when Jesus Christ preached Matthew chapter 6. Jesus was a Baptist. Mary was a Baptist. How do I know Jesus was a Baptist? Every one of you children, never forget this. Jesus was a Baptist. He wasn't a Methodist. The Wesleys were still 1,700 years away. He wasn't a Presbyterian. John Knox was still 1,600 years away, and so was John Calvin. Jesus was a Baptist because he was baptized by a Baptist preacher. How do I know that? Because he was baptized by John the Baptist. Jesus was a Baptist. Mary was a Baptist. The apostles were Baptists because they were all baptized by a Baptist preacher. When someone's baptized by a Baptist preacher, what are they? They're Baptists. They're not Methodists. They're not Episcopalians. They're not Russian Orthodox, and they're not Catholics. They're Baptists. And the Lord Jesus Christ preached in 30 A.D. this message, and he's taking apart a religion that was still three or 400 years away from even coming into existence. Didn't he say last week in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 7, do not use the vain repetitions of the heathen? Is there any, more, is there any better fulfillment of that than the rosary of the Catholic Church? Not that I know of, and not that you know of. The rosary is the perfect fulfillment of that, and yet there wasn't a rosary in a Christian church, but Jesus had already dealt with it. Jesus knew that people would go around with ashes on their forehead and pretending to showing themselves to be fasting, like the Pharisees in his day. I love the Word of God. Before the error even came up, it's dealt with in the Bible. Thank the Lord for the Bible. He has taught us his testimonies and he's showed us his ordinance. As we read from Psalm 99. Let us be faithful to what it has to say about us. It comes to verse 17 and says, But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head and wash thy face. Go out of your way to look like you're not fasting. If someone finds out, that isn't the problem. If someone finds out, your fast is still acceptable to God. It's just that you ought to take a few precautions Not to be looking for the question, what's wrong with you, sister? The Lord wants you to take the precautions so that that doesn't occur, so that you can be doing it only to Him. Let's understand these words in their sense. It doesn't mean that for a fast to be acceptable, you have to go wash your face and anoint yourself with perfume. Just the same as it doesn't mean you keep your left and your right hand from knowing what each other is doing. It's a point that the Lord is is making by strong language and a great metaphor explaining to take some precautions so that you're not doing it for men, you're doing it for the Lord. And you know what? If you think through those very carefully, they are wonderful expressions. Because there is within all of us the desire to be seen of men and to be thought of men as being holy and righteous. But all we want is for the Lord to see our holiness and righteousness. And it's only pure if we do it for Him only. It's, It's terrible that the fasting of the Catholics, and I I want to mention this because I'm told that a good minister of the Lord Jesus Christ does not fail to remind you of the errors of the greatest enemy of Christianity, and that is the Roman Catholic Church. 
It's First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. If you're a good minister, you will remind the people that that is our great enemy because the effect of their religion has crept into all denominations because she is the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Do other churches sprinkle babies? Where did it come from? It didn't come from this book. It came from the mother church. Where did the holidays come from? The mother church. Why do you think it's called hallowed Halloween? All hallowed evening. Everywhere you go, she is the mother of abominations. The corruption of Christianity came from Roman Catholicism. And it's my job to remind you so that you do not forget where those errors come from and that you are kept aware that that is the great enemy of apostolic religion, the Roman Catholic Church. And yet it professes to be the mother church of all Christian churches. And that without them, we wouldn't even have the Word of God. You should see the letters they write. Without them, we wouldn't have the Word of God. Because they had a church council in 397 in which they settled on the 27 books of the New Testament. The problem is, churches like us had the New Testament of 27 books 300 years before that. Credible. But people believe it. They buy into that lie. And they follow Rome. Look at the fuss made about their pastor. Papa John Paul II. Enough about that. They take fasting and apply it to no meat on their specified days when the Bible says that commanding men to abstain from meat is a doctrine of the devil. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3. This does not say that fasting publicly is wrong. This says fasting publicly to be seen of men is wrong. We might have a church-wide fast sometime, and we would all know that we're fasting. There might be a sign-up sheet. We could do it any number of ways on who's going to be fasting on a particular day to make sure we have a whole week covered with people fasting every day. And you're going to make a decision when you go over there and put your name down. I wonder who's going to see this one. I wonder what they'll think about me. Or you can go over there and say, Lord, I want to make sure that this whole week's covered. I see a weak spot on Tuesday. I see a weak spot on Friday. I'll fast on both because I love you. And I love this particular need that we're praying for. Right. And the Lord sees that heart and he accepts that. Right. They had national days of fasting. How about in Nineveh? Did God care that the whole nation was fasting and the whole people knew about the king? It says they specifically knew about the king fasting. No, because the king was fasting out of fear of God. Right. He wasn't fasting. He was not fasting to get promoted. He was already king. He was fasting out of fear of God that God was going to burn up his city because a preacher that he believed by the grace of God had said 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He did what he ought to do. He fasted and the Lord accepted that fast. Fasting. Let's think about it just, just briefly. What is it? We already, we've already learned these things. Fasting is abstaining from food for a little while. It could be one meal. It could be a day. It could be a week. It could be 40 days and 40 nights. It could be abstaining from all food. It could be abstaining from pleasant food. It could be abstaining from pleasant bread, wine, and meat, like Daniel did. It could be abstaining from food while drinking water. It's it's your... You know what? There's no commandment. It's entirely left up to you. You say, well, how do I know what I ought to do? (laughs) Enough to hurt. 
enough to hurt, enough to afflict yourself. And while you're having, while you're depriving yourself, you spend the time in prayer. It doesn't mean that I'm gonna, I'm gonna take up a new diet. I'm gonna fast one day a week. I should be able to get two benefits that way. The Lord's gonna be impressed and I'll lose some weight. Uh uh-uh. uh. You've just ruined that fast. Jesus would say to you, verily, he has his reward. Right. He lost a few pounds. You should deprive yourself from food or other pleasures, and at that time and during that time, you're telling the Lord why you're doing it, and you're afflicting your soul, and you're praying. Right. You're using that time to pray. You're using that gnawing stomach to pray fervently. And you're not just praying to get it over with. You're praying because you want the Lord to see the seriousness of your heart about how important this matter is to you. Why do we call it breakfast? Why is the first meal of the day called breakfast? Because you're breaking the fast of the night because you haven't eaten since supper the night before, except in America. You probably had two or three meals before you got to bed after supper. You probably got up during the night and went into the refrigerator and raided it. But anyway, the word breakfast is to help you understand what the word fast means. Because breakfast is breaking the fast of the night. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 17. Matthew 17. This is the event that I read to you in detail four months ago, but it's one I don't want you to forget. We know a young man in prison. He's 27 years old. He's having a great struggle for his soul. We have prayed for him for 18 months. I have visited him for 18 months. Others in the church have visited him for going on 15 to 18 months. Many have written letters. He struggles with it in a terrible place. Let's read this passage and learn, remember something that the Lord taught us. Right. Matthew 17, beginning at verse 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed. For oft times he falleth into the fire, and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Remember, there's two lessons there. The disciples didn't have the faith they should have had, but the Lord Jesus Christ explains that there are some obstacles, some mountains we're going to meet with in life, some spirits that we're going to meet with in life that require prayer and fasting 
for that spirit to go out. That is the lesson of Matthew 17, 14 through 21. Right. Remember, if you have an NIV, if you have an NASV, if you have any other of the modern versions, it doesn't even have Matthew 17, 21. And Matthew 17, 21 is the punchline. It's right. the bottom line. It's the summary. It's the important verse of this whole story. There's a young man struggling for his life, the life of his soul, in a terrible place where there's every foul bird and evil spirit that can be imagined. Why do you think men do irrational, unreasonable, and terrible things? They do it by the power of the devil. What causes pigs to run down a cliff and jump off into the sea and drown themselves? Matthew 8, Mark 5, and other places. The possession of their bodies by spirits. What causes men to be totally addicted to irrational, ungodly, wicked behavior? They've been given over to spirits. In a prison, you've got a higher concentration of evil spirits because you've got a higher concentration of evil men than anywhere else. Men that once you let them out, they go right back. You let them out again, they go right back. You let them out again, they go right back. It's the only way they know how to think. The vast majority of them. Repeat offenders over and over again. And so we had, there's a young man there. You read a passage like this, what should it do to you? You know, some people would say, well, I thought, I thought that devils went away when Jesus died on the cross. Well, then why do we read in the book of Acts about all those that were possessed of the devils being delivered by the apostles? Why do we have Jesus Christ telling his apostles after his resurrection that one of their gifts of the Holy Spirit would be casting out devils? We have someone we can pray for. But this morning the point is we have someone that we can fast for. This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. May the Lord cause us to think on that and show our real love that God can see. Let's think for a moment. You know, I went to see Brandon. I want the church to know that. I want the bakers to know that. Verily I say unto you, he has his reward. Or the church that writes, verily, They have their reward. But you know what? We could pray and fast in private, and the church and the Baker family would never know that you had done it. And our Father which seeth in secret would reward openly. And we want to do that. You get to come in here where there's also the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and protects us from those spirits. And the Lord is able to protect him there, but he may be waiting upon us. Because there were disciples involved that could not cure the young boy. And they just needed to be taught two things. Believe. Because Jesus Christ has the power to save that young man from no, any a number of devils. And second, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Because fasting adds another element of fervency to our prayers. Oh, Lord, help us. It's a whole lot easier to preach this and to hear it 
than it is to accept it, believe it, and do it. Look at Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Just, just to remind ourselves of fasting in the Bible. Second Chronicles chapter 20. We had this mentioned on Wednesday evening as one of the great examples of an answer to prayer. Who's the king? Are you there fast enough to know who the king is? Jehoshaphat. Let me read the first four verses. Second Chronicles 20, the first four. It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them other beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great host, there cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold, they be in Hazizan Tamar, which is Engedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a prayer meeting throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Now, did they just have a prayer meeting? Or did they set themselves by a fast to seek the Lord? Amen. He called the nation together. This is serious. We have a great multitude coming against us, several nations against our one nation. Let us pray, but let us pray with fasting. And this is one of the Bible examples. And we reviewed it on Wednesday evening and rejoiced. Because God told Jehoshaphat, stand still and see the salvation of God. And these various nations pulled out their swords and killed each other. The Lord turned them over to the most reprobate minds, and that is to kill their own friends. And it took them three days to gather up the spoil. But notice how it began. When he feared, what did he do when he was fearful? Did he send messengers to Egypt, ambassadors to Egypt, saying, we'll buy your army? Did he send a tire for help? No, he went to the God of heaven for help. And he went to the God of heaven with prayer and fasting. And the Lord heard him. And the Lord saved him. There's an example. I've already mentioned the city of Nineveh. The king, all the way down to the poorest in the city, humbled themselves and fasted. The Lord saved the city of Nineveh. Cornelius was a man that prayed to God all way. And it says he was doing what? At nine o'clock... When an angel appeared to him, was he golfing? What was he doing? Fasting. He was fasting in Acts chapter 10. God sees men that fast, and he hears their petitions. Let's think again. The disciples could not cure that boy. They had, they had cast devils out before. They had healed the sick before, but they couldn't cure the boy. So we see three levels right there from that one passage of Christians. Those without enough faith to get their prayers answered. Those with faith to get their prayers answered, but their prayers aren't going to include the real serious issues. The real serious issues require fasting in addition to prayer. Can we see that from that passage? That there's three divisions there? We want to make sure that we're progressing up through those to the top level. Not that we're great but that we're following the Lord. The way to get faith is to believe God can do anything. Not to be discouraged at all that the issue is too small or the issue is too great. God can do it. He's done it before. He can do it again. I know He'll do it. That's faith. 
but then to add fasting. Jehoshaphat added fasting. You know, if you read about the Apostle Paul, when he was going to ordain anyone, he fasted. He did not want to send any man to the work of the ministry without God's special blessing upon him. When Paul himself was sent from the church at Antioch, they fasted and prayed and laid hands on Paul and sent him to the Gentiles. Did that prayer work? Blessed abundantly and mightily. John the Baptist's disciples were great fasters. And the, the Gospels tell us about that. Paul speaks of his much fasting. Paul expected couples to be fasting because he even mentioned that during fasting and prayer, it's not a time to come together with your wife because you're to be depriving yourself of all such pleasure. And he just assumes it in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, that it's the only excuse he knows of in a Christian's life. By mutual consent for fasting and prayer. You can do it one day, one meal, but just skipping a meal isn't a fast. It's consciously denying yourself food for a meal and spending that time in prayer and seeking God while you're going without food. It's not just skipping food. Skipping food will not make you a great Christian. Many people skip food, skip eating meals just because you're too busy. God's not impressed. He sees through all of that. He wants us afflicting our souls at the same time we're afflicting our bodies. They're both to go together when we're fasting. And I went over that all back in January, but I'm just reminding you of it right now. Look at James chapter 4. James chapter 4. I think we can get mileage out of James chapter 4 and verse 9. that will help us even tonight. And this is about the afflicting of the heart. Oh, the Bible warns about having a fast and yet having too much pleasure in your life. Having a fast but not righteousness. Having a fast but no repentance. That's a fast that God doesn't see. So a fast needs to have your conduct is righteous, you've confessed your sins, you've repented of them, and now you're afflicting your soul to go along with your bodily affliction. James 4, 9. Let's get verse 8. When the the apostle wrote, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Well, how do we draw nigh to God? Because we we read this morning, walk humbly with thy God from Micah 6, 8. How do we do it? Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. That's to stop sinning with your hands and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. That's to get your hearts committed to one thing. When you purify your hearts and you're called double-minded, that means you're thinking in two directions. You like the world, and you like serving the Lord. And to purify something is to get rid of all base metals. When you purify gold, you get rid of copper, silver, and everything else that is polluting the gold so that you have pure gold left. And so when you purify your heart, you get rid of every other motive to have only one left. And that's to be pursuing the Lord. So cleanse your hands, confess your sins and stop sinning, purify your heart and get one motive, that is to seek the Lord. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. There's a time to get very serious and to afflict your soul and your mind and your spirit and to let the Lord know how important this particular matter is to you and beg Him for His mercy. Right here. Now the example in this passage is to walk with God and to have Him accept you. Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you and you're told how to do that. But it works for any other prayer request as well, to afflict your heart and your soul, along with afflicting your body. 
You want repentance with it, because just missing food, I've said this already, just missing food is not a fast that God accepts. The best, time, the best thing you can do during that time that you're going without food is to spend it in prayer. And let the Lord see you afflicting your soul and bringing your petition up before Him while you're afflicting your body by going without food. You're in James chapter 4, look at verse 3. When we fast, we should be fasting for things that are for the glory of God, for the betterment of His church, and for spiritual needs. Above all else, we should be seeking those things, or for the welfare of others, not something to consume upon our own lusts. James 4, 3, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Too many times, or sometimes, we pray just because we want something. Just because we want something doesn't involve anyone else's benefit, doesn't really even involve our benefit, just our pleasure. And the Lord says that's praying to consume something upon your lusts. And so even when we fast, we shouldn't be fasting for such a thing. I've given you two examples this morning that will not give you any direct pleasure yourself, except in the spiritual man. It will give you great pleasure because you're doing it for someone else. And that's a prayer that you're not consuming upon your lusts. That you're praying for someone else and, and their family. And that's a prayer that God hears. When do we fast? You know, in the Bible, when we look through all the examples of fasting in the Bible, one time they fasted is when they knew that they had sinned and God was angry with them for their sins. Even Ahab pulled a fast at a time like that, and even Ahab obtained the forgiveness of God and mercy toward him during his lifetime. One of the wickedest kings that Israel ever had. But one of the times to fast is when you know that you're a sinner or you know that you have sinned and you want God to forgive you and you are coming to show him just how seriously you take your sin. You do it by fasting. Then when there's a great need, whether it was ordaining an apostle with the apostle Paul or was facing a great army like Jehoshaphat, a great need requires great prayer. Great prayer requires fasting. And so we want to remember those things. Do we have any such situations today? We do, right in our own church. Sorrow for judgment or sorrow for a loss that God sends us justifies fasting. Look at David fasting about the sickness of his child. Realizing what a great sinner you are and asking for God's special mercy to revive your soul and to walk with you would be a great time to fast. To seek the face of God with a very fervent heart that you want His presence with you. Uncompromised, unrestrained, a double portion of blessing that you've had before. You would pursue it with fasting, not just a few short prayers, but you would beg God for such a blessing. Or when you're about to undertake a great responsibility. You know, like the example in the Bible is ordination. Or when we have a marriage. Or childbirth. Or things like that. If you're serious about something, you show God your seriousness by fasting. And then we want great blessings from heaven. We want the, 
the Lord of heaven to open the windows of heaven. We can appeal to him by prayer and fasting. Brethren, it's a whole lot easier to preach and to hear this subject than it is to do it. I'm going to tell you something. If the devil can influence you, can he? He's going to influence you not to get a hold of prayer and fasting. Is that hard for you to figure out why? When the Bible says, This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting, and a devil was involved, is the devil going to be involved in keeping you from prayer and fasting? Is he going to keep you too busy, too hungry, too preoccupied to remember what I preached this morning? Yes, because it's his safety that he has to keep you too busy and too preoccupied to fast and pray because the Bible told us that we have power against him through prayer and fasting. So do not be surprised at the difficulty it is to remember what we covered in January and what we're covering this morning and to practice it. I promise you, if you don't have anything in your life right now that deserves fasting, you will. So look for those lives that already have it and fast and pray for them. And maybe they'll fast and pray for you when you have the need. The crucial issue of fasting is not us learning all the details of it that the Bible does tell us. It's doing it. We have a young man in prison. We have a health threat. We have children needing conversion. We have our own souls needing revival and power. Are those not good enough reasons to fast and to pray? Lord, help us. Amen. Amen.